Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Football Per 90 podcast. It's been a little bit actually since we've had an episode. Um, COVID had some plans for certain people, but we're back. And uh, we're actually here today with a um, new feature we're going to be discussing. Um, and hopefully with some relative uh, regularity, it's going to be called uh, a deep dive into uh, where essentially we're going to be discussing the profiles of some clubs. Alex uh, is the one who kind of proposed this idea. So Alex, if you want to introduce this a little bit further in terms of what we're going to be discussing um, during these deep dives. Yeah, I mean, a name is is, pro, is subject to change. Like Mikey said, we haven't really got a good name for it yet. But basically, it'll be a deep dive kind of looking well deeply into any club um, at the time um, in terms of the tactics that they're using in terms of the you know the overall management of the club in terms of the players at the club and and generally something to do thematically with um how they're doing at the time or or what's relevant to them at the time that we're looking into them um and we just thought yeah now would be a good time now that the season's ended just to look into for our first couple kind of look into the seasons that these clubs have had so we're starting off with Marseille like Mikey yeah and as Alex mentioned we're talking about Marseille who need no introduction um historically one of the um or, or the most supported club in France, uh, one of the biggest clubs in the league one. Um, obviously, their fortunes and, and kind of, uh, I guess, level of performance has not been um, always uh, at, the, at the highest levels uh, in recent years, particularly after PSG kind of has just been taking the league by storm with their new ownership. Uh, but from 2016 and on and stuff, when they had um, an ownership change, uh, Frank McCourt, co-owner of the Dodgers, um, bought Olympic Marseille, in 2016 for 45 million he pledged to um invest 200 million into them for the next four years and in his first window um they bought some pretty notable players uh, i mean they brought back Paye from uh from west ham who was one of their best players before he left and has continued on to be a, a star for their team uh, patrice evra sanson etc um you know and they've 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 continued that that kind of theme in their recruitment um they had uh andrea villaboas um he was their manager before their current manager from May 2019 to February 2021. It's a quite an interesting story, actually, with AVB. Um, they were doing really well under um, up until December under AVB. Um, then um, they signed Nicham to replace Sanson. AVB had apparently told that he explicitly did not want him to be signed and offered to resign publicly. Um, and when the club signed him and they were in ninth, everything kind of seemed to be falling apart. And they hired their current manager, Jorge uh, Sampaoli, who's been, who's a uh, Bielsa disciple. He's most notably known for his time with Chile from 2012, 2016, where he had a massive amount of success. So that's pretty much the background and where Marseille is currently at in terms of the club itself and the current manager. Um, so Alex, I actually want to come to you first and ask you about what's been really happening recently, um, kind of fortunes on the up post Rudy Garcia and with Sampaoli as their coach and Longoria as their director of football. Um, why don't you take us through a little bit about what you've seen from Marseille over the years and this kind of uh, change in their in their form? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I think one of the things that's kind of changed is that Marseille kind of, they've gone from a club that's kind of been known to not be that great with their money and kind of doing, you know, not necessarily being a club with a lot of finances, despite how, um, you know, historically big and big within France they are. Um, and, you know, kind of throwing their money at like players like Strootman, on high wages and stuff. And I think what's happened recently is that you've kind of seen what who came in um, a couple of years ago now. Um, it's Pablo Ligoria, um, a young director of football, or uh, what they call him, a president, sporting director, essentially, is his role. And yeah, he's kind of changed the club in a big way. And at the same time, similar time to when he came in, Sampaoli came in, and they've kind of, together, they've really added back an identity to the club, both in terms of now there's an identity on the pitch, Obviously, Sampaoli is someone who's known to have a lot of buy-in from his place. Um, we'll get into his tactics later. But but you've really got far more of a buy-in from the club, buy-in from the club's fans. And at, at the top level, you've got uh, Pablo Ngoria, and we're going to get into his transfers later. But you can see suddenly a club that's never been that wise or hasn't been that wise in recent years. They've, they've really looked at getting these cut-price deals, um, being smart with sort of loans, finding players that kind of that fit the general direction that, that the club wants to go to, not necessarily only tactically, but also in just in terms of refresh, refreshing the youth of the club, especially uh, this is a club that hasn't really had the best youth compared, given their size um, in recent years. I mean, they don't really compare with the likes of Monaco and PSG and Lyon, who are the other big clubs they want to compete with. 
So they've they've been smart in other ways in terms of who they've signed. You, you can look at guys like Dieng that they've signed from from Senegal. And yeah, I think it's 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 been a big change of fortunes. I'm very high on on Longoria's um his sort of leadership of the club. And yeah, what we got to is now you're kind of seeing the results. I mean, they they were good last season, and I think they've they've done really well this season as well, ending second in the league. Yeah, I think what's really interesting, particularly when you highlight the idea of of the youth, I think if you're not relying on youth, you have to, I mean, you're, you're quite literally relying on um, your kind of tactical direction in terms of the kind of personnel profiles you need to come from your recruitment, right? Um, and I know, you know, I kind of want to transition us then to be discussing a little bit about um, how Sampioli wants to use his team tactically. And uh, But before we get there, I do want to get a kind of general sentiment then. Do you think that Marseille's direction then in their recruitment strategy has been um, positive to fit that of the need of Sampioli. And would you say Sampioli is someone who has very kind of hyper-specific fits for the kind of players he needs for the system he wants to play? So I think to answer your first question about like the general recruitment, I think it's it's largely been very opportunistic and kind of seeing what's out there, which I don't necessarily think is the wrong approach because I think there's been a big emphasis on refreshing the squad quite quickly, which just means that you're going to look for deals that you can kind of get, even if the guys don't necessarily fit in that well. Um, and if there's quality, it's quality, you sort of bring it in. So I think that's kind of been part of the part of what they've gone for. But then they've also got players, um, or we'll talk about more later, but like guys like Saliba and stuff, who do who are, are clear profiles that Sampaoli wanted that Longoria has got out, gone out and got for him. Another one is, I think, um, Guinduzi is another guy that Sampoli wanted, not only in terms of um, what he adds in progression, but I think Sampoli really wants sort of those aggressive sort of that attitude that he wants to add to the team is something that he said in the past. So I think it's it's a it's a it's a balance of both looking for guys that you can kind of get, and even the guys that he did get that fitted Sampoli, you can see it's quite opportunistic. Two loans from Arsenal, um, it's kind of seeing value in the market in terms of Saliba just getting someone in who can fulfill the role. In terms of Sampoli's um, specificity with his profiles. I think he has a very, you know, kind of similar to BLC, has a very high demands and specific demands of his players. But I think one of the problems that has been the case with, with is that he's still going to play his way, whether it fits the players or not. So I think that's kind of where you see and what I think we'll get into later is that he'll have, he plays a ridiculously high line and he doesn't necessarily have, besides Saliba, the centre-backs who can recover in time. Um which is also part of why Saliba's been so important and had so many moments this season. We has those big sort of like, you know, it's kind of the the defender's version of like a, uh, what a, what do you call it, camera save, where you're like running back and you tackle Mbappe like as the last man sort of thing. But I think the fact that Sampoli kind of has, similar to Bielsi, he actually does rely on, he plays his way whether the players really fit it or not. Not to say that he hasn't tried to make a couple of tweaks along the way. But the general principles. So then, so then, let's get into the, the 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 kind of tactics more specifically. Obviously, I think in this section we're going to be obviously talking about. It, it's impossible to not be highlighting the specific players, but we'll also be obviously diving into those players um, more specifically uh, about each one and the ones that we think are notable to to talk further about and and what we kind of um, or how we view them. Uh, but let, let's get a little bit of kind of that that background and overview then uh, in terms of how this Marseille team likes to play and, and how Sampioli uses his players. Um, Alex, if you want to, I guess, kick that off. And I know Aaron has stats as well. To kind has of like some things that has, for sure. So I think just to, just to, I've been speaking a lot. So just to give some broad overview points, I think one thing to say is it has changed a lot over the season. Even coming to the end of the season, it still kept changing. It's been a lot between a 4-3-3 variance and a three at the back, a different three at the back systems. I think one key thing to kind of point out is the guy in both the 4-3-3 and the three at the back has often been um, Bubba Kamara. Either he's been he's played as the central defender often. Sometimes he's actually played in midfield when they've had that three at the back. Um, but it's generally he's either the central guy in that three at the back or he's the guy in um, at the pivots of the 4-3-3. So he's often really performing the same role and he's just the kind of guy who kind of acts as the the reference point for the, for the rest of the team, much like kind of almost a Jorginho... For Chelsea, although I'd say they offer very different things, um, I think what you've got is is it's very it is he is a Bielsa disciple. So you see a lot of that like man orientated um, 
sort of defending and you know high intensity vertical um counter-attacking um also yeah the high line as we spoke about earlier which does rely on a lot of recovery pace from his um defenders a couple of interesting things i think is that the lack of having a reliable center forward is, has led to some interesting things up front um which is maybe why i did a bit of a disservice to to Bielsen saying that he he plays this thing whether he has players who fit it or not. He does make some tweaks, even though the principles are the same. So there's been some really interesting stuff about having like sort of Paye being their attacker, and it hasn't necessarily fit that sort of verticality of their play. And then the yeah. other last point I wanna, I'm sort I of making. I want to hop in here though and, and talk about Paye just for a second because the way I've seen him be used, and you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, he obviously does have that, you know, he's not traditionally a forward, but they play him in that forward role. So he's more traditionally a 10 that can then operate as that false nine. But I've honestly seen him as well be quite free where they allow him to kind of roam as well at times and and kind of depending on their opposition, um, if he needs to occupy, he can do do that kind of sorts of things. Have you seen kind of a transgression of his skill set from the time he was at Marseille previously to when his return and now under Sampioli? I think one of the things is that he's a little bit less... Um, less athletic than he was before and what that's kind of led to is they have brought him more central or whenever play play kind of follows him right if he's receiving out wide the central midfielders are going to come closer to him to be able to combine and give him back the ball in better areas rather than him carrying into those areas um but otherwise i mean he's the same player he's always been he's a very you know um play dominance sort of creator where the where the game really flows through him and i think what we're basically seeing now is He's just receiving higher um, or in areas where he used to carry into before making those passes. And and yeah, I think that's just basically, that dictates a lot of the, the sort of fluidity that we see with Marseille sort of receiving high. And I think Sampoli's kind of done that quite well. Um, yeah, because one the of the other things thing- I always see is that they create this kind of like midfield box at times, right? And then, yeah. and then when they do that, sometimes the, the eights can go out and become wingbacks as well they take they become like ad hoc wingbacks it seems um and that i think creating that width is the one then what kind of it it seems like they are able to create space vertically and horizontally to create that area for pi to to receive yeah i'm actually glad that's a good point i'm glad you kind of brought that up because that's the one other tactical thing that i think has been very interesting especially in recent months is i think if you look at the squad one of the big weaknesses is literally their fullbacks and their wingbacks right so what what sampoli's kind of done is he's just basically it's not even the central midfielders acting as wingbacks. They literally are the wingbacks, like numeric uh, nominally, um, in certain ga- in most of the games in recent months, right? So particularly Rangier on the right and um, Gerson on the left, right? And I think your point about kind of using them to create space makes a lot of sense, and it has very much been what they've done, especially because he's kind of used them to receive and draw in pressure, and then find find Paye in those sort of those pockets of space higher up, right? Um, also, just the last point before I, I move on to Aaron's sort of statistical overview, and he can kind of tell me how that how our two points align, right? Um, but I think the last sort of thing that it's kind of been interesting, one thing that I've noticed over the season is the use of Saliba. Earlier in the season, he was their main sort of progressor um, out, out of defense into sort of the second phase of play. Um, in the build-up, he would carry forward. He would pass directly into the midfield or pass up into the fullbacks. What he's been doing recently um, is that they've kind of, they've used their sort of all of their centre-backs, including Saliba, very, very conservatively. And they only really progress into those central midfielders who are playing as wing-backs. And it's kind of their jobs to kind of find Guendouzi in the middle, or even if Guendouzi is the guy out wide, to kind of find Rangier in the middle to kind of progress play from there. So I think it's it's been a whole lot of things to kind of, to tweak different ways to kind of progress that ball into the into the second um into the second phase yeah and so aaron then i want to come to you and ask you like do you think um based on kind of the statistical overview of things um have are marseille an interesting case to analyze have they been effective under sampioli in, in this kind of system what are their numbers looking like in in what areas and what kind of uh, what players are kind of notable to highlight then in this regard as well yeah, that's a really broad question. So I think what I'll first do is talk about some of the really interesting things I think you guys have said in terms of what I've seen and how it aligns with the data. Um, and then maybe we'll go into more general points about Marseille as a whole in the data. Um, the first thing I would say is 
in terms of using Pae higher up the pitch compared to maybe in his uh, prime physical years, I think that's totally correct. Um, I think Sampaoli tends to have very high centrality in his play compared to other managers. And I think Marseille also have a lot of really good central midfielders. And what that means is that they kind of create like a number of central lines through which they progress before the ball even reaches Payet. And that reduces the extent to which he needs to be involved deeper down the pitch compared to, say, uh, in his peak years or when he was at West Ham or another team like that that really needed him to kind of do everything. Um, he, he still is really involved. But what tends to happen is they really try to uh, form a three in defense, whether it's the goalkeeper in Paulo Lopez joining the defense or it's uh, Kamara dropping into the back three or they just play a full back three and Kamara's in midfield. Um, and then they try to funnel the ball through the center with two lines of central midfielders ahead of the center backs. So usually the first line will be Kamara and someone like uh, Rangier or, um, and, and then beyond them, they'll have Guendouzi and players like Gerson, or, or they have a couple of different options in that position as well. And that leads to Paya receiving very high up and also leads to very high progressive numbers throughout this team. So Guendouzi and Rangier are the biggest culprits. Like They both are in the double digits for progressive actions per 90. Uh, the top teams in Legun tend to kind of stat pad progressive actions a little bit because they tend to be quite dominant in possession. But even by those standards, like the only midfielders outperforming these players, if at all, are like Bruno Guimaraes when he was at Lyon and Verratti at PSG. Pretty much everyone else is scoring below these guys for progressive actions per 90. And I think that what that goes to show is that they're really trying to funnel the ball through the center of the pitch. And these players are getting somewhere between 80 and 100 touches every single game they play. Um I think we can talk a little bit more about that and then maybe go into in, into Marseille as a team in general because I think they have some interesting comparisons with what I'd have expected from a Sampaoli team from what I know of his previous teams and what I know from Bielsa teams to, to what they have now in reality. Yeah, I think I think that definitely makes sense. And, and um, I know um, that they have a, a little bit of a historical overperformance right in their, in their um, XG uh, difference. Um, which yeah. is so funny because that was that actually seemed to be a theme even before um, Sampali took over. So, so they've over they've overperformed their expected goal difference for each of the last three seasons. I think the last one they didn't was 2018-19, where they underperformed it by about half a dozen to a dozen goals. Um, and I don't have reason to believe that that's like uh, a trend in the way they play. I think it is something that's likely to regress. Um, and that's an interesting point of conversation, which is, I, I don't know if they have the second best squad in Ligue 1, but they haven't necessarily been performing as the second best team in the league based on the numbers. They're kind of, they're, they're actually seventh for non-penalty expected goal difference. And the other thing I didn't expect is that their defense actually ranks higher in fifth than their attack does in seventh. So they're actually better defensively compared to most teams in this league than they are going forward. And yeah, so so you were so you were talking about sorry the, the defensive points there as well, and and I guess like it's something to 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 highlight as well. You know, being the Bielsa disciple, you were saying. Um, yeah. But so then, Alex, I want to come back to you then. Um, when you watch Marseille, uh, are you are you envisioning a team that are are you seeing a lot of characteristics that are um, indicative of the way Sampoli liked. Uh, to play in, in previous styles or has he maybe tweaked his system um, to that of the, to fit the league one a little bit more and create his, so that they could be more effective for the league? I mean, I think I first have to kind of say that the only other team some of Sampioli's that I've watched a lot of in the past is this Chile team and I don't think it makes sense to really compare a yeah. national team to Marseille. But I do think um, throughout his time at Marseille, you kind of see the same... You, you've seen the same sort of trend of general principles. Um... Yeah, and basically it is that sort of that of that feels disciple sort of um, characteristics of you know like man orientated pressing, um, a high intensity and verticality, especially through I think which is maybe more so, but I'm willing to be corrected more so a um, a only thing, but especially through the center and then kind of or going out wide and then coming in the center, so not generally going down one flank but changing through um, from one sort of build up to the other or one sort of Ah, okay, cool. Changing corridors. But yeah, anyways, as they sort of attack. Um, 
But yeah, I think I think it, it has been sort of a thing that he's kind of tempered um certain aspects. I think Sampoli does want sort of a striker that he can kind of that can kind of get onto the ball. Um, you know, that you can play long to, which he hasn't really had. I think Milic has been injured and maybe he doesn't really have that explosiveness that you want anymore. Um Sampoli is someone who does really want a lot of transition. Um they got they got uh, Cedric Bakambu in January. Hasn't played as much as I thought he would. He's actually been good, I think, in, in like what the he's played 8.590s over 20 appearances. So he's kind of been used as a sub. Um they also have Diang, whose role they have tried to use him, but he isn't none of these guys are really I think Bakambu could be, but he hasn't played enough to maybe be hasn't been the sort of outball that he wants. So I think he has tempered things a bit more to kind of to kind of just get it to to guys like um like I mean Harrods and get it to guys like like under maybe you know a little bit earlier and they can kind of carry it higher or kind of like we've said already get it to higher higher areas but very static places which isn't necessarily what I think you really get would expect from Sampoli right you get when Paez receiving is either receiving a bit deeper to play to play a direct final ball in or is receiving very high where the set the the defense they're playing against is already settled so I think those are the main problems and those are sort of things that they've that he's kind of tempered his general play style just to, to work around. I have a question for you, if you don't mind. A little bit more of a complicated one, maybe. So Marseille, <laughs> what I've found is like, they're second in the league for possession. Um, they seem to really have a control over, even when they're struggling to score, they seem to really kind of control the flow of games quite well. Um, but it doesn't seem to convert in their expected goals or their expected goals against, as we've discussed. And I'm kind of wondering, like, they seem to play three at times four central midfielders, lots of cent- like they seem to have quite often shapes of like the Bielsa three, three, one, three that everyone always talks about where they have the fullbacks joining midfield and then a bunch of central players and only two players who are really wide. Do you think that their kind of emphasis on centrality kind of leads to a lack of numbers at both ends of the pitch that can give them kind of trouble with getting up and really getting into the box and attacking teams or defending transitions at times? So I think I think one part to answer your question, I think it absolutely does. And I think it a part of this comes from the fact that they have lots of central midfielders that is kind of you know, it's hard to not use these guys when they are a lot better than the sort of wide players that they can rely on, right? Um but it has it has a hundred percent led to that. I think part of the reason why they're very good at controlling games is because they use so many central midfielders who are good at doing that. Rangier, um, Gerson Obviously, Bubba Kamara, whether you want to consider him a DM, a centre-back or a central midfielder. And Guendouzi, probably the best example of all of them. All very guys who are very good at like keeping the ball, controlling play, um, and playing playing in more central areas, right? So I think that is 100% part of it. In terms of making them a bit more stagnant going forwards, I think it's partly the central forward, maybe. Um, one thing I've noticed is that when they kind of attack in transition, they, they aren't spaced very well. Like their first guy isn't getting forward very quickly, um, or acting as a pivot. So that you've almost got like the sort of like it's in the transition, the ball's moving too quick for the players to actually get into the right positions, right? Which is not what you want. You want your attacking player kind of getting in the position to receive in like just in around the box, not not before getting into the opposition's third. So I think that's one of the issues. And yeah, I think the other issue is that they don't really just have the the wide players from deeper, which is why they are using central midfielders. Um, and I definitely want to get into that um, in just a second because I I definitely agree with what you guys have to say. It does seem like, Alex, especially you highlighted this, that there's a theme that a lot of the players need to be quite comfortable on the ball particularly. Um, and, you know, being that there is a deficiency at those wingback positions, Sampi always found a way to kind of adjust and, 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 and use those um, kind of assured uh in possession players in those areas. Um, I think that is enough though for our first part. I think we're going to then um, wrap it up for, for, for part one and we'll discuss um, in part two a little bit more in depth uh, about the players of the squad and also uh, where we see kind of the project uh, going forward. So please stick around for part two. Um, we'll be back in just a second. Thanks. And we're back. Um, so we've discussed a little bit about uh, Marseille 
um, from a tactical and statistical point of view, we're going to be discussing, um, you know, the players in the squad as well as the project going forward. But we wanted to actually touch a little bit on um, some of Marseille's themes, um, you know, out of possession a little bit because we realized the discussion was a little more in possession focused. Um, Aaron, do you have any kind of thoughts of the way Marseille uh, kind of defend and, and, and what are their kind of th- key themes are, maybe some weaknesses as well um, about their kind of defensive system that they have? Yes, I have two interesting observations, one statistical, one a little bit less statistical. So the first is that uh, anyone who kind of hears Bielsa Disciple probably thinks this is an extremely high-pressing side, but they actually have pretty interesting pressing kind of dynamics. Um, Marseille ranked fifth in the league for PPDA, which compared to Leeds was like, Leeds were first from the second Bielsa got into the Premier League until the second he was sacked. Like they were the most intense pressing team because of their man-oriented approach. Um, and it actually seems like Marseille counterpress when they lose the ball quite a bit, but in certain phases, they actually sit off and allow the other team to pass it around. Um, I wanted to ask Alex, maybe if that was a personnel thing or, or a Sampaoli preference to me, it seems like their front players don't have quite the intensity to press extremely high for 90 minutes. So they tend to sit off and let center backs have the ball sometimes, uh, which is something that Bielsa's leads would not do. Yeah, I think um, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I I think I agree that it would be a, it's probably a personnel thing. Um, also, just in terms of the players that they have, like for example, Paya is not a good presser, but other guys like Dieng, I haven't really seen like intelligent pressing from him yet, and I think that's just because he's inexperienced. But yeah, generally the guys that, and Milic isn't a great presser anymore. I think it's just generally the guys they have up front. Said uh, under, I'm not so sure. Um, he could probably press, but I think overall it's it's not a very good pressing unit that they have up front. So that's probably my idea, but it's still kind of interesting that you point that out um, because, I mean, it's definitely something Bielsa wouldn't do. And I do think of all of Bielsa's sort of disciples, I think Sampoli is the, is the one who, who tries to sort of replicate what he has the most. Um, but yeah. It's interesting because to me it seemed like when the opposition center backs have the ball in sort of like the midway of the first half, they they kind of have like a zonal approach from the first two from the first line where where they allow the center backs to have the ball and block the lanes and then man mark everyone behind them. So they kind of have two guys who are floating across trying to block off passes. And I just thought that that was something really interesting that I saw that. Well, I want to kind of get into some of the notable players then. Uh, I mean, we discussed earlier that the recruitment and and um, kind of strategy going forward of the project that Marseille are kind of undertaking here has been pretty impressive. Uh, Alex, you described it as opportunistic. Um, what are some players that you'd probably um, come straight to mind um, that you'd want to highlight as kind of staples in this Marseille team? Um I know we've already discussed a few, but I guess we can go into a little more detail with each one as well. Uh, I guess I can start. Oh, oh, oh okay. Oh, I said, I said Alex. I thought, okay, yeah, I uh, my, my bad. Um, so I, I actually don't have a no, staple good. that I want to bring up, but I do want to bring up Pape Gue because I think he's one of the guys that we haven't really spoken about. Um, and he's actually a player that I kind of find very interesting and I kind of enjoy a lot. He hasn't got the best reputation, I think. And maybe it comes from kind of playing in a very competitive team where, you know, I wouldn't say he's even necessarily the third best central midfielder in the team. But yeah, he's a player I enjoy a lot. He's a player I've enjoyed watching. What I do think he has, is he has some very elite qualities um, in terms of generally his passing, um, his ability to bypass pressure. I think those are some qualities that, and he's very slick on the ball. Um, and then he has some pretty terrible ones. He's really bad at tracking his runners at times. Um, he's got awful ball striking when it doesn't come to passing. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen him take a shot from outside of the box that hasn't either been completely like squiffed where he misses the like the connection with the ball or he connects it into like Rosie. So I think he's an he's an interesting player that I wanted to kind of highlight in terms of in terms of the players that we probably wouldn't otherwise discuss. I also think he's kind of cool topical but in 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 the sense with, you know, all of the 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 transfer embargo and transfer ban stuff kind of surrounding the club it's it's kind of his fault or their fault for signing him so so yeah I thought I thought I thought he, I think he's a cool player to kind of chat about from that perspective but yeah yeah no I mean I I know like I just want to touch a little bit on their kind of transfer business as well uh, before we kind of continue on with some of these players because like I feel like what I've seen at least in the recent years um, has been 
honestly pretty promising if I was a Marseille fan in terms of the, the way they've gone about their business. I mean, like since like 2016, as we talked about, um, they, they, they even sold the likes of guys like Senson, Ocampos, and Guisa and Batshuayi all for a good amount of money for some hefty um, price uh, price tags. And, you know, guys like Guendouzi, Under, and, and, and Paulo Lopez, like they've, they've made permanent. They've, they've had these guys on loan and they made permanent and, and for not too much either. Um, Guendouzi is one I definitely want to talk about a little bit. Aaron, if you want to touch on him a little bit, because I know you're a fan of, of Guendouzi. Um, you know, but th- that's what I mean, just generally speaking, uh, that kind you. of, you know, they brought in some younger players too. Before some, we move to Guendouzi, I'll shout out Paulo Lopez. As I think he's been a great buy, and especially in terms of actually what they do with the ball, how high he comes is not something you normally see in French football. I mean, I think it's something you've, you've mm. kind of seen more and more with in, in Spain. Increasingly in the Premier League, you see guys coming high, but it's, He's still like the only guy if of any team in Ligue 1 where you see him like coming that far out of, out of his box to kind of play along the back and and yeah I think I think he's a great keeper as well so I think he's been a great signing for them I think he's he's tr- he's been kind of transformative in how they can play under Sampaoli. Yeah, uh Lopez has been a net neutral shot stopper in the XG. So roughly he's actually 0.01 goals above Goals saved above expected uh, per ninety. Okay, so that's interesting. He's pretty much nigh on average, but he's very in, he's very heavily involved in possession. I think he's in like the ninety something percentile for involvement of goalkeepers in possession um, across Europe. So I think it was a really good loan move for them to get him to be able to play in this style because he's almost always in their back three whenever he plays in build up. And there aren't that there still aren't that many goalkeepers in Europe doing that yet, even though I think there will be in five years. Um, as for Guendouzi, I I was actually going to talk about Rangier if you did bring up Guendouzi, <laughs> but I'll talk about Guendouzi because I, I love Guendouzi. I loved him at Arsenal, and I love watching him in this team. So he's this like for anyone who doesn't know, like extremely press resistant central midfielder, silky ball carrier, um, can progress pretty much with the passing, carrying, dribbling, multifaceted. Um, he isn't really, I think he doesn't have a great reputation, especially in England, because of a, a lot of like background attitude discourse that I think there is some validity to. Like, he seems to have had a few rifts with different people in his days at Lorient as well as in his day at Arsenal. But it seems to have kind of channeled into this player um, at Marseille who really fits what Sam Pauli wants to do this level of aggression, um, like. I don't like saying passion and desire, but he has this level of kind of like brute force and aggression to his play um, that you don't usually see from these silky central midfielders. He's not afraid to kind of get messy when the game gets messy and really get involved in leading their press as well as kind of committing fouls and and, and making things difficult for other teams. Um, And then I think he's also added a new side to his game. So I think in England, there tends to be a lot of bias against central midfielders who don't either win 10 tackles a game or, you know, score five goals a game, which Alex is a meme lord for <laughs> pointing this out. But um, I, I think Guendouzi's kind of added these attacking elements to his game. He's, like, shattered his own record for goals and assists this season because he Marseille play with a front three where two often go really wide and the third is often Dimitri Payet. So they're really reliant on runs from central midfielders into the box into playmaking situations. And I think they actually look at their best when Guendouzi's getting high up the pitch and getting really involved in the final third. So I think he's been really important for them. I think barring relegation, they might actually sign him permanently, which is really good for yeah, them. They already signed him permanently. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, I actually Yeah, so I think the only condition on that was them not getting relegated. Yeah, I think that's safe. And I think that's safe. Now he's going to join. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, actually to add to that, I think it's been... It's funny because when I was kind of thinking Paya got injured against Feyenoord in their second game and they kind of had a, a couple games left into the run and people were like, how are we going to kind of replace Paya? Because he does remain their most important player, right? And I kind of think like my first mind, like my the first person that came to my mind was Gunduzi, which is funny. It's not someone you would have thought ever like two years ago, even even from me when I, as an Arsenal fan. I think I like to think that I, I thought quite high of his attacking potential, but the way in which he's so comfortable receiving and playing high now is one of the best things. I mean, I think Aaron spoke about how he's this multifaceted ball progressor. I think one of the, the coolest things about him is that he's so progressive anywhere where he receives on the pitch. You sort of often get midfielders who are better, you know, progressing out of their own, you know, their own half or better present, 
progressing through the middle part of the pitch or or best kind of receiving and, and doing those final things. He's really good whether he's receiving on the edge of his own box or kind of getting into his own and towards the other um the opposition box, right? So I think that's one and, of the and things. also in wide areas as yeah, well. Yeah, so that's another thing I was gonna say is like these guys who are playing central midfield for Marseille because of the way they play and the and the rotations. Often they end up very wide. Um, Rangier plays at fullback sometimes. Camera ends up in the right half space and the left half space in his own half. Um, they end up in all kinds of configurations, and all of them are responsible for being able to retain and progress in those spots. And they're all really good at doing and that, it. I want to talk about camera at some point. Yeah, we, uh, we'll let we'll let you take that. I know you've been dying to speak about camera for weeks, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I think that that's why he also came to my mind. Is Pia, you you know, you get Pia receiving sort of that half space to high up left. I think I'll try to find the video for it. So we plug it on the YouTube channel, subscribe to our YouTube and all of that stuff. But there's there's a ball, you know, where I think Gunduzi kind of receives keeps it in possession high up and then sends this amazing ball in um, versus Feyenoord, right? And it's just the sort of thing you don't really see from that sort of your typical central midfielder. So I think while he still doesn't have goals in his game um, or even actually really necessarily the assists that I think he's he's worth, he's able to get, and he does need to improve as a runner for both of those just to kind of to find those nice spots where you can kind of assist from. He, he does have this amazing ability to pass and progress and put in good balls from pretty much anywhere where he is on the pitch. And I think that's incredibly valuable, especially especially and has been for Sampoli's side. I mean, you you know, he's... he's I think the players that allow Sampoli to do what he, he does, it's been Payet, it's been Buba Kamara, it's been Saliba purely for the reason that he needed someone who can operate in that high line. And then it's been Gwendouzi for being able to operate in all those different pockets that he has. So I think he's been, I mean, he's been a revelation. I wish we never sold him, but I'm happy to see him doing well, despite it being at, at Marseille. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and it seems like the staple here as well is is very much so that, like, Sampel is using clearly a ton of traditional midfielders, right, That in in, in various ways as well. And, and so let's let's go through that then. Let's go through. So I mean, uh, Aaron, you can I guess get started with Camara, and then we can kind of work through some of the some of the other kind of midfield players. And Alex, I know we can kind of discuss that a little more in depth into um, how he kind of uses them as these multifaceted tools and all that in his system. Yeah, I want to give Alex the opportunity to talk about how happy he is about Saliba leaving Arsenal. But before I do that. Um, We'll talk about camera a little bit. Um, yeah, he's great. He's just so I believe Fabrizio Romano has just said today he's joining Aston Villa, which I think where that kind of comes from is he's not quite at the level of being like a bona fide starter for a super club yet. And Aston Villa have just kind of snuck in and been able to get him. And I think he's going to be a great replacement for Douglas Louise in their holding midfield role. Um, camera is a really interesting player because I wouldn't describe him as like a progressive central midfielder. But he's very much like a defender becoming a central midfielder, but also very interesting on the ball. He's well-rounded defensively. I think his biggest strength defensively is reading the play. In this team, he has to often follow men, often track into the back three, pick different spots across the line. Like You'll see him go right to left and defending different zones along the last line and along the second line when he plays. And he consistently makes the right decisions. Uh, picks the right spot, and makes really important defensive interventions in this team. And I think that pans out well, even if he's playing in a zonal marking system next season under Steven Gerrard. Um, and, and the other thing with Camera is, in possession, he has to be one of the most secure defensive midfielders on the ball in Europe. Um, normally, I don't think ball retention is a super important... Like, it's not... Often, ball retention is a function of how simple you keep it on the ball. But this is a guy who is really difficult to get off the ball because he's very good at kind of feigning that he's going to give you the ball and then not doing that. So he'll show you a little bit of the ball. And then when you try to press him, you're going to open up space and he's going to be able to play into that space or come up with a quick maneuver to get the ball out of feet, very good close control, or he's going to get it out of his feet really quickly and win a foul. Um, and I think it gets really frustrating to play against because Marseille have really good ball circulation and they can constantly rely on this guy to get it out of difficult areas or win them fouls at a pressure. And it makes it really difficult to implement any kind of high press against them. So I think he's going to be really valuable at Aston Villa. I think getting him on a free is something that pretty much every big club in Europe right now should have been looking to do. And even though he's not quite at that starting level yet, 
I think in two or three years, a lot of really big clubs are going to be looking at him. If Aston Villa don't kind of make the most of this big money sort of spending spree that they've been going on the last few years. Yeah, no, and and, and uh, one of the funny things is like, well, it, in terms of comparisons, just looking at FBRF right now, some of uh, of the top three, his uh, most similar players, number one, Sergio Busquets, and number three, Fabinho of Liverpool in terms of his statistical profile. Is, um, is Jorginho yeah. on the list from Chelsea? Uh, no, he's not. You have Witzel. You have actually uh, Papage. Uh, you have uh, Thiago Mensch, uh, and then Bentaker is like last in terms of like the, you know, most. I want to jump players, in though. Like yeah, I think, uh, while I'm not surprised, he doesn't really um, profile similar to Jorginho because I think he has different strengths that like kind of make them different. Yeah. I do see a lot of Jorginho in the way that he kind of controls the game. Right. I mean, I think I think Jorginho gets a hard time. I mean, I'm not particularly high on him as a footballer, but I do think. One of the things that makes him so good is he's an incredibly quick decision maker and he often makes the right decision. Whether he has the technical execution to to pull it off at you know at a high level with those long passes and or stuff. the physical capacity. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or the physical capacity, which is like, well, which which is fair. I think that's kind of also when Aaron was kind of speaking about A, um, his ability to kind of keep retention so well and keep on the ball and make people think that he can get on the ball. It's that plus that ability that Aaron also spoke about about their ability to kill off games. I think the big guy there is Cameron. Just the way that he he always... He's very good at making himself available for passes. He's very good at being able to to recycle very quickly and knowing where, knowing the right spaces. And it makes it incredibly hard for teams to kind of, you know, get their finger on on pressing Marseille in deeper areas because he always knows where to recycle it. And I think he's just an incredibly intelligent player. He's always been an incredibly intelligent player. Um, I've always been a big fan. I think... I think this sort of, I think I still kind of see him as like a center back DM, CM. Like he just kind of floats between those positions where where needed, and I think he has the intelligence to do that. So I'm 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 a big yeah. fan of him. I think he could have gone to United or so, um, but I think oh totally yeah. But I think I yeah. I, I do. He could have gone to Chelsea first. Well, I, I, I would I, I would put him on a similar level to guys like Calvin Phillips who are being linked with United at, at much more expensive prices and much older. The reason why I compared him to Jorginho wasn't because I think they're like extremely similar players, because I think Camera is much more athletic. I think he has a much higher defensive aptitude. And I also think Jorginho has incredible, like for all people say about Jorginho, he has incredible vision and can see yeah, passes mm-hmm. that most players can't play, even though he can't complete them. I don't think Camera's quite there on the ball. Um, but the reason why I thought they would come up similar is because of how much of a hub they have both yeah. got for their teams. In a similarity data model, that's going to come up as similar like amount of touches, similar amount of passes. Players uh, in terms of like the role that they play as the hub of a team that circulates passes a lot in deep phases, especially in build-up. But yeah, I think he'll be great at Aston Villa. Uh, well, Alex, I'm gonna obviously give you a chance to discuss uh, Saliba a little bit because uh, I know you are, and, and and even highlight a couple of the kind of uh, uh, attacking players I think we've maybe neglected a bit. But before that, I want to kind of finish off the midfield um, talking about Rangier and Garrison uh, or Garrison. Um, I, I know Garrison's been their most uh, expensive transfer, correct? I think uh, he is their, yeah. their record transfer. I could be wrong on that, though. I should have done more yeah, research. Yeah, we were having a discussion but... <laughs> a little bit about this before. Sorry? I said I should have done my research on their transfer fees, but I think he is their, their most expensive um, transfer. Definitely of the past window and past yeah. couple of years. So, yeah. Yeah, so can you walk us through a little bit, I guess? Uh, well, I, I know we, we talked about Gwendizi being used in those wide areas and Rangier a little bit on the, on the uh, left side of things as well. Um What's Gerson's role then, more specifically, you would say, um, in this kind of Sampoli system? Um, so he recently has been used um, as a left wing back, but he's played a variety of different roles and positions for them this season. Um, but yeah, I think I think the general role is that there's so much fluidity between, I would call it that like the middle sort of line of their players where you, you know, this is where you find Gwendozi, this is where you find... Uber Kamara, this is where you find Papa Gay, Pap- um, and Rangier on the other side. I think they've all kind of performed like similar sort of roles, and that's part of their sort of fluidity. I think what Gerson offers is he's he's a bit more um I would say he, he feels like more of an eight than the other guys do. Um and a bit more balanced in both being attacking and and defensive. You know, I feel like he's he's the least of the guys who is trying to dictate play, which is where you you've got more your Gwendozi, actually, 
all of the other ones, I think, are pretty much more like to dictate than he does. But what I think Gerson offers is he really does add to that verticality. Um, he struggled when he first came in. I, I wasn't that impressed by him when he first came, and he came with quite a big reputation. Having first come to Europe with an even bigger reputation, he came with a reputation that, like, you know, kind of, he was now the player that joined Roma, was it, all those years ago? Um, but I think he's really grown into the team, and I think he's been one of their best players recently. Um, what he kind of offers compared to the other midfielders, I think he has way more goals in his game. Um, I think he also has a magnificent, like, sort of final ball in him um, and and sort of intuition of when to play that final pass um, in a more sort of less... What I think you kind of see with some of the other players like Winduz is that sometimes they like to sit on the ball a bit too long. I think Gerson's someone who does like to get it moving forward quickly, which is which is to the benefit and does work well in the Sampaoli side, right? So, yeah, I think that's sort of been his role. It's, it's hard to kind of nail one down because he has played in so many different roles and and the roles have often been so fluid. But, yeah, being part of those rotations, keeping possession, he's been he's been the, the left wing back, I would say, of, of all of them. But, you know, kind of getting forward, getting into those left wing spaces, that's sort of that's sort of been his role, yeah. And I think he's performed it well recently. Right. And Yeah, and, and, and kind of talking a little bit, because you mentioned um, the kind of ability to kind of carry forward and, and limited touches. As a Chelsea fan, I know, like, uh, particularly when playing a back three system, um, I very much enjoy a center back who <laughs> has that kind of competency to carry into the midfield and take up those kinds of positions. Uh, Antonio Ruger is like a favorite of mine when when he does his kind of long stride, uh, long stride carries. Um, I know Saliba's kind of uh, really grown into that role um, and come into his own. And I know just generally speaking, you've been quite a bit of big fan of his, um, hoping to see kind of his, uh, you know, a, a future with him at Arsenal, which um, it's not likely. Um, <laughs> and so I, I want you to kind of go into Saliba a little bit because you did also mention his staple of the team and stuff and the kind of um, uh, ability he's allowed then uh, this Marseille back line to, to operate. So I think I said it earlier, but I, I mean, I'll first say I don't think it's so much grown into his role. I think he, he started very strong um, immediately sort of from get-go. And I think if anything, he's played less of a carrying sort of role than he did at Nice. I'm not sure how that compares with the numbers, but I think when when you saw Manrone at Nice last season, he was far more subject to pressure in deeper areas and sort of relied on to carry out of that pressure. I think this season, a lot of teams sit, sit off Marseille because I think if they don't sit off Marseille, that they, they kind of know they're going to get cut through pretty quickly. So he he generally has had a lot of liberty to kind of carry as far as possible, as forward as possible until... He kind of invites pressure and then he can kind of play the pass quite quickly into the guys who can kind of do the damage like Gwen Dizzy or whoever, right? Um, in terms of what he's kind of done recently, I think I did kind of touch on this earlier, but but I think I would have to kind of do a deeper dive, but I feel like teams are kind of caught onto that possibly because for whatever reason, Sampoli kind of has changed the tactics in a bigger way and what we've kind of he's kind of used to Libra as is that, you know, he's played them quite outright. Um, but he's kind of used them more as a reference point just to re what would I say, re-center play, right? Rather than actually carrying forward and being particularly um, progressive himself. I think the okay. main So I'm actually just looking at the numbers right now. And in, in, in over the season uh, for shoes at Marseille. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's actually he carries more often per ninety. He 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 has six point seven five uh progressive carries per ninety, and at Nice it was five point four. But his distance actually at Nice Per ninety was about three hundred. Uh, I believe this is yards. Um, yeah, three hundred yards. And at Marseille, it's only been two hundred thirty-two. Okay. So the distance of his carries progressively has definitely been um, shorter at Marseille, but his frequency of carries. I think I think that that there. checks out quite well with my my general thinking and how he's kind of done because he was kind of it was more of a no help thing. I think at least just in terms of the general structure, um, they kind of he kind of just used his ability to carry, which is why. I think that it hasn't stood out as much, even if he's carried more. His actual ability under pressure to carry under pressure is probably the first thing that made me so big on him when I saw him at at Saint Etienne. Um, but yeah, he's done a bit less of that. I think the main way he's been passing progressively in recent months is just is just getting it out to that to the central midfield or right wing back, whatever you want to call him. We've discussed quite a bit about uh, the different players that are kind of staples to uh, some Pioli style. Um, I guess I kind of want to move forward then discussing the project at hand. 
um, you know, a little bit in terms of the forecast of the revival of, of Marseille. Um, Alex, I kind of just want to um, come to you and, and I'll touch on it a little bit more myself. Uh, but how do you see um, this rebuild going moving forward um, and, and the project between Sampio Longoria? Do you believe that uh, Sampio is actually uh, the, the man to, to continue forward um, long term? Uh, obviously, he's done excellently this season. Um, long term, do you think they can really kind of uh, instill themselves as regular kind of uh, top four members in the in the league one? Um, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this in two parts. I think firstly, in terms of the job that they have to continue the rebuild or, or to keep building the squad, they have a lot of important profiles that they sort of actually they have to deal with this this window. Um, so I think it's that it's good it's lucky for them that they don't have that they managed to to postpone the the Papagaya ban, um, because Bubba Kamara, one of the most important um, players and performing one of the most important roles for the squad, he's gone. They don't have really anyone who can replace him. Saliba might be coming back. I mean, I, d- I doubt even if Saliba isn't at Arsenal next season that Marseille can afford what Arsenal are going to be, be demanding. It's possible if they put all their budget into it, but I don't think he's like one of signings that they can get. They definitely need to bring someone who can be a high-line defender for them because he was the only one of their centre-backs who could really perform in that role. I think Payet, we've increasingly, he's very important to them. He's very important to their chance creation. I think increasingly, it's he's not being, he's not a reliable option physically. Um, and, you know, the injuries have been racking up. I think, I think he's just also for succession plan, planning, they kind of have to look. Like I said earlier, I think they can kind of try try do something. They've got the players in the squad that they can try replace him in a different way. Um, but but he's also another, he's an important player that they sort of have to make plans for. Luckily, they have Guendouzi sort of tied down, so those are some of the most important players that they've had. Um, of the four that I kind of highlighted earlier, it's only really Guendouzi who is like a sure thing for the next one to two years. Um, so it's it's a big it's a big build, rebuild ahead of what they've currently been building. I think they kind of knew that was going to come anyways with some of the deals that they've been chasing, and with Buba Kamara kind of being difficult to to extend for a while. In terms of your second part, talking about whether um, Sampoli is right long term, I think Aaron kind of did highlight earlier, but maybe the results have flattered him a little bit. Their league performance, I don't think that they're the second best or have been the second best team in the league. But I still think he's done very, very well. I think he's building a really good culture and connection with the fans, which I think is is really important. I think that stuff often does kind of get overlooked just in terms of the role a coach has. Um, I don't think Marseille have been this together as a fan base since probably Bielsa w- was there before it all went went fell apart there. So, and he, yeah, I think another thing with Sampoli is he does have kind of a reputation that it can fall apart quite quickly. What I do feel, though, is... I'm quite, I um, mean, I'm a Lyon fan, so I wouldn't say I'm quite positive about, but I, I do, I, I'm, I do think um, Marseille are moving in the right direction, and I think Pablo Longoria's the impact he's had, and as you pointed out earlier, the backing of that ownership, they are moving in the right way. So even if Sampaoli isn't the guy, I do think they're gonna, they're, they're moving in the right way to becoming a better team. I think if we're looking at UCL, the last sort of point. So I think it's a bit too early for them. I don't think they're going to do that well next season necessarily, unless they recruit really well. Um, you never know though. But yeah, but I think they, regardless, they're moving in a good position. They're moving in a good, um, in a good way. Yeah. No. I mean, I definitely, I definitely agree. I guess just even on a surface level, looking at it, right? Like, so far this year, there's no reason to obviously, as of now, uh, doubt Sampioli like and say, oh, he should be sacked. Nothing of, of course nothing, not. yeah, no yeah. conversation of that sort. Of course. Um, definitely not is is being discussed here. Um, but it's kind of longer term, like what we were discussing. Uh, you know, is this sustainable type thing? And and I'll say this, um, as they try to scale, right? Like so far, what what I've been seeing fr- from my kind of perspective of things is, firstly, a definitely unique style of play uh, that seems to be effective and has has its own kind of merits as well. Um, that is difficult to play against because it's it's quite uh, unconventional in, in in certain ways, which is interesting. Um, some due to maybe lack of personnel and some due to kind of Sampioli being a little more, you know, a Bielsa disciple, mad scientist type stuff when it, 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 tactically. One thing that's for sure interesting is that I don't think he's had any, um, you know, long stint with a club 
Um, I think the last club he managed, um, you know, serious club, at least like in the top five leagues was, was Sevilla only for one season. He's really just known for his time in Chile. And as you kind of highlighted before, it's um, national team and stuff like that versus club club football is, is, is quite different to, to kind of, uh, it's not apples to apples in, in that kind of comparison. But from a operational standpoint, for sure, uh, it seems like the business side of things, Marseille has been doing quite a good job. They've been selling players on for profits. They've been fi- uh, finding opportunistic and undervalued talent that they've been then in- incorporating to their team. And I think as they continue to grow, uh, the hope is then that this kind of uh, translates to uh, higher value targets that aren't that are going to be undervalued for like the level of talent that they will bring in and seeing how they're able to then do that. Right. So like Guendouzi is a good example because I think what we talked about with, with him, there was a lot of kind of off field type type things, attitude type issues that I think maybe swayed people away from him a little bit too. And as a result, he was a very cheap transfer. That's clearly worked out really well. Paul Lopez under guys like that role player wise at the, at the least, even if you don't want to give them merits for whatever have been excellent acquisitions to then be able to replicate this at a higher level where your transfer um, targets then become uh, more often 20 or so plus million uh, for, for, for a team like Marseille to be kind of their higher end at this point. And seeing where that progresses, I think will be really interesting uh, to see in the future um, to then see if they can kind of take it to that next step um, and, and instill that consistency uh, w- within their side. Um, because I think... And I think that you're describing about fan enjoyment, though. I think it's really important because financially, they're not going to compete with PSG, right? right. They're not going to compete with the top sides in Europe. They're not spending that amount. And... I think being able to have a team that's a spectacle to watch um, with players who are really passionate, they've got this style of play where they're, it really gives the vibe of like they're giving everything on the pitch. They can beat big teams. They can go deep in Europe. It's the same thing with Bielsa's leads for so long. They were not ever going to be like a top five team, but the fact that they played that way and the fact that it was just good enough for them to meet expectations and also be super fun and they had fun players, and they did fun things every week. Everyone wanted to see what was happening with Leeds. I think that just that just makes it more fun to follow for people in a world where financially it's kind of stacked against them in terms of winning real silverware on a big level. Yeah. I do wonder <laughs> how their youth youth kind of progression though uh, changes, right? Because Alex, you kind of t- touched on yeah. that a little bit earlier that they're not necessarily. You know, they're not deploying these kinds of like they haven't been i mean i think you know they've they've still they put out some some you know they're still they're still a good youth um yeah they have a good youth academy it just doesn't really compare with the the top youth academies out there which is sort of unexpected for for marseille i guess you know what i mean especially because a lot of the best talents in foot, in french football come from the region in marseille right um it's yeah. particularly where lyon actually have a whole recruitment sort of thing as we recruit a lot of the players that Marseille miss out on. Um, for, for example, Alarouche is our next big star coming through. You'll hear about him next season. He comes He comes from a town that's like a, what, like an hour outside of Marseille. Um, but yeah, I mean, they still have guys. They have Lee Haji now at Lille. Um, he's quite a big talent. Kind of, he's had issues why he hasn't broken through yet. They have Buba Kamara from a couple of years ago, but like it's, it's far more sparse than that other ones. I think that is maybe something they've had good youth development in the past that, you know, might just be a phase kind of like Arsenal had in the early 2010s where we didn't really produce many players after Wilshire for a while. Um, but yeah, even then I think the fact they have Longoria, they have really good recruitment kind of um, will have shown recently. If they keep that up, it's not going to be much of a problem. Um, and yeah, just to kind of add on to what Aaron thinks, is, I mean, it's kind of funny coming out from our stats correspondent, you know, speaking on X fun. But I do think that they have added that sort of that sort of aspect, which is which has been big, and I think it I think it's important to the to Marseille fans. Um, and it's been something that they haven't felt. They didn't like Villas-Boas. They didn't like Rudy Garcia. Um, last coach that they were really uh, really that passionate about was Bielsen. I think. You know, his disciples kind of brought that back, which has been good. And hopefully, I mean, for them, they, they almost made the final of a European competition this year. Um, I think Sampoli can do it again. Um, I don't think he'll do it in the Champions League. I'm not expecting much from them there. Um, but yeah, you never know. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of helps 
uh, wrap up everything uh, for today in our discussion with Marseille. Um, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Once again, as usual, please be sure to follow us on all socials um, at Football Per 90. Uh, Twitter's probably the most uh, prominent place to kind of um, uh, follow in terms of keeping up to date with everything. Obviously, subscribe to the YouTube channel um, to be able to watch the video side of all, all this stuff that's going to be coming out. We'll be doing um, We're also going to be having another episode coming out soon, um, similar to this, about uh, AC Milan and their cusp of winning their first uh, Scudetto. So we'll be doing a deep dive. Uh, first Scudetto in a while, sorry. Uh, doing a deep dive a little bit um, into them and, and, and their kind of rebuild as well over the years. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks so much. Have a good one. Enjoy.